Live. Live. Live from... This is the Just End the Suffering Podcast. For the win. Got it! Oh! He broke his head. Follow me. Follow me for freedom. Ready for this? Here's your host, Mike Phillips. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the latest episode of the Just End the Suffering Podcast, which is a New York sports talk and long-suffering fan. I'm your host, Mike Phillips. Good show for you this week. We are getting ready for more NFL playoff action. The conference championships are this week. Joining me today on the line will be Matt Verderan from Fanside. We talk to him in the playoffs every year. We're going to talk to Matt about the two conference championship games, the Jets hire Robert Sala, what the hell is going on in Houston. A lot of fun stuff to talk about with Matt there. Also do our NFL picks today for conference championship weekend with Joe D'Alizio, the host of the Sharp Cheddar Podcast. His Green Bay Packers are on the NFC title game. They'll be hosting Tom Brady's Buccaneers. We'll talk about that. Make your picks for both games coming up then. Stay tuned to the end of the show for this week's two-minute drill. We're not going to do pop calls. We're not doing Tiger Part 2. I gave it a watch. I don't think it's worth it, guys. I just The issues we talked about last week, they come back again. It's just, I think, viewer discretion advised if you really want to get into that, but we talk about a little bit of baseball stuff. Obviously, I got to deal with the Met thing because that was a disgrace. What happened with Porter? They did it. They handled it well. I'll talk about that. But the Yankee rotation also I want to dive into because they made a big move there. See what's going on with that. But we'll get all started this week's opening tip where we talk about the new hire of the Jet coach, Robert Sala, right after this. Three, two, one. Y'all ready for this? The opening tip. And here we go. All right, we are back here. Opening tip time. Talking about the Jets, their new hire, head coach, Robert Sala. We talked about this last week with Andy Vasquez. He said that Sala was the ideal candidate for the Jets. They do get him. They get a five-year deal done with Salah. The press conference will be later this week. I absolutely love this hire. All we talked about with the Jets was they need a CEO coach. They need a guy who will coach the whole team, not just be a play caller on offense or a play caller on defense. All we heard out of San Francisco since the hire is how great a leader he is, how this isn't just, you know, oh, my defense is great, and how he's a real leader of men. Richard Sherman, one of the most respected players in the league, came out with strong praise for him, saying, the Jets got a great one. Congrats to them. A lot of other players around the league tweeting their approval of the Sala hire. And it's a good sign for the Jets that Joe Douglas did not fall back on, you know, the pre-existing relationships. Because in this process, I mean, when the, the search started, I was convinced we end up with Wink Martindale, the Ravens, who's a good defensive coordinator. Pre-existing relationship with Douglas in their time in Baltimore. I figured, okay, maybe that's where they go. When Doug Peterson got fired, okay, Relationship there from Philly. Douglas praised him in interviews in the past. But neither one of those guys actually got an interview. Joe Douglas had an open mind, reached out to a bunch of guys, talked to nine the first round. Second round, they brought in Sal. They brought in Arthur Smith, who ended up getting hired by the Falcons. They moved quickly to get the job done. They figured out quickly that Sal was their guy, and that's who they ended up with. Sala is bringing also some key coaches over from the Niners with him. Mike LaFleur, younger head coach of, younger brother of Matt LaFleur, the Packer head coach. He's running the Kyle Shanahan offense as the Jets' new offensive coordinator. They're running their offensive line coach. who's one of the key zone blocking guys in the NFL. He'll help this Jets' offensive line come in better. And this would be a good staff here. That's something we've not always had in recent years. And the Jets... The thing that I'm interested in here is seeing what they do with the new coach, the new quarterback. Because this system they're putting here, the Kyle Shanahan offense, this is one that people around the league have said that this would be good for Sam Darnold. A lot of scouts, a lot of players, a lot of executives think he would thrive in this system. So would Zach Wilson from BYU. Another guy who's linked prominently to the Jets in drafts. And I think that would work very well. So could Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson can do well in any system. If the Jets want to go that direction, that's a direction they should go in. It's an interesting time, by the way, with Deshaun Watson stuff because we've heard how he's unhappy in Houston, how he wanted to text and interview Robert Sala. That report dropped the day after the Jets hired him. 
And lately he's been doing a lot of liking of posts on Instagram. He's liked the New York Post cover of the Jets saying they should get him. He's been around the New York area. He's got family around here. Makes you wonder, is there a path here to get Deshaun Watson on the New York Jets? I think there is. That path, obviously, is three first-round picks. You got to throw a couple other picks in there to make it a sweetener. Sam Darnold, whatever it takes to get the job done because 25-year-old franchise quarterbacks do not grow on trees. He has control of the situation, though, because he has no trade clause. So the Jets go for the best package. Deshaun Watson can say, no, I'm not going there. The key here is if he wants to force his way here and say, I will only take a trade of the Jets for some reason. And there are other series here. If the Dolphins are a good fit because they have the cap space, they have South Beach, he likes the culture down there, the Niners are a good fit, need a quarterback. There are lots of possibilities here going forward for the Jets. If they don't get Deshaun Watson, they could use the number two pick on a guy like Zach Wilson. They could keep Sam Darnold, build around him, trade out of two and get more assets. There's things to do here. You know what? Maybe this team will get the rebuild right for once. Maybe they'll be in the playoffs as soon as this year because they have a lot of cap space, a lot of picks. You build smartly the right coaching staff. You could win a lot of games. Speaking of the postseason, we're going to talk about the divisional round with Matt Verderam right after this call from the AFC playoffs, second round, courtesy of NBC, Al Michaels and Chris Collinsworth, Tyron Johnson's game-breaking pick of Lamar Jackson. The backfield flanking Jackson. He stays in the block. Jackson fires, and that will be intercepted in the end zone by Johnson. Tyron Johnson. And only Jackson can stop him now. Too late to the end zone. Touchdown. Johnson had a pick six against Roethlisberger in one of the Pittsburgh games this year. And what a play on a third and goal. Just going to drop back, and you just simply don't see that underneath player. But that's not the story of that play. Fine. You throw an interception, no big deal. But you have to get Taron Johnson on the ground. And the Buffalo Bills have all of Buffalo rocking like they haven't been rocking in 20-some years. All right, we are back on the podcast talking NFL playoffs and more. A lot of news this week in the league. Joining me today is Fansiades NFL insider Matt Verderam. Matt, welcome. How are you? Great. How you doing? Pretty good talking to you today. A lot of good stuff here. New Yorkers are very interested, obviously, in the Jets hire. They got Robert Sala from the 49ers. What do you think about that decision? I think so far it's the best hire of the offseason. Um, of all the teams we've seen, look, the lines went off the board, so to speak, with Dan Campbell. Brandon Staley had a very successful year with the Rams as D coordinator, but he's only been in the league for four years. So that is a, that is a big move, and only a coordinator for one, 38 years old. I think Sal is an incredibly impressive guy. Look, he took over for the 49ers a few years ago as a defensive coordinator. Obviously, they went to the Super Bowl on the back of that defense. I uh, got to talk to him a little bit when I was down there covering that Super Bowl. Very impressive guy. Very smart. Um, relatable. The players loved him. I remember asking a few of the players uh, about what they thought of him, both as a coach and just as someone in the locker room. They, they couldn't have raved anymore. So, um Listen, I, I think Salah is going to go in there and with Joe Douglas provide the Jets with some professionalism, with, with some accountability. That's obviously something that's been lacking under Adam Gase, both with the players and especially with Gase himself. So I think it's a really good move, uh, and I think it's a good first step in rebuilding the program. Yeah, obviously you mentioned he's a good hire. One thing that's been bog- boggling my mind as I've watched this offseason is the fact that guys like Eric Bieniemy are not getting hired right now. So, like, what do you think is going on there? Why is it so hard for him to get a job? You know, there's theories all over the place. Um, you know, one of the theories has been that he doesn't interview particularly well. That was reported last year. I have a hard time believing that. You know, I, I watch his press conferences every week, and he's pretty impressive. Now, I get it. A press conference is different than an interview. I understand all that. But Andy Reid, I believe it was on Monday, said that he feels like Eric Bieniemy would be somebody he would he would want his sons to be coached by. I mean, I don't know that you can get much higher praise than that from a guy who's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. And Reed's gone out of his way to praise him a lot. Um, you know, is it is it a racial component? It could be. Is it a matter of maybe maybe he doesn't interview great? Could be. But if I'm a team looking for a head coach, 
I don't know how I couldn't at least interview Eric Bieniemy and then seriously consider him. I mean, Houston, up until this thing started to devolve with Deshaun Watson, didn't even interview him. Also didn't interview Robert Sala, which is more of an indictment on the Texans than it is anybody else. But it, it seems to be that for whatever the reason, maybe the enemy's turned off some people in these interviews because um, everything he's done on the field and on the sideline would point you to a guy who should be the absolute cream of the crop as a head coaching candidate. Yeah, you brought the Texans up. Can you tell me what the hell is going on over there? Because, like, I just don't get it with the Sean Watson thing, with this whole Jack Easterby storyline, SI had the big expose. What is going on over there? So with the Texans, look, first of all, I don't know that anybody has a great grip of what's going on over there because it's so out of control. But, you know, I talked to a source about three weeks ago, right at the end of the regular season, who said to me and who would know that, hey, look, Eric Bieniemy, John Dorsey, that's a pairing uh, that you – know, they might like to go to Houston. They might like to go to Atlanta. Uh, obviously, it has not worked out. didn't work out in Atlanta, and it, it would be shocking if it works out in Houston, at least as a, as a tandem deal. Maybe the enemy still ends up there. They did interview him. Um, but, you know, there was real interest at the outset by the, on the enemy's part, from my understanding, to go to Houston. They never made a move. Now you have the, the, the Sean Watson stuff where you're looking at this, and Watson asked ownership. Just interview him. Just give the guy an interview, which should have been – the ownership should have just said, of course. Of course we're going to interview. You don't have to ask us to do that. They didn't. He feels betrayed. He feels lied to. Uh, and now you're in this situation where Easterby, who was a pastor for the for the Patriots, he was a chaplain. Like, he's not an NFL guy. In fact, Belichick was asked in December, is Jack Easterby an NFL personnel man? And Belichick unequivocally was like, no, he's not. And this is the person who's running the Houston Texans – SI put out a really good uh, piece that was co-bylined, I believe, by Greg Bishop and Jenny Ventures, who wrote that, you know, Easterby basically was on this crusade to find out all these different things about Sports Illustrated and how word was getting out. Look, the, the Texans have a hands-off owner in Cal McNair, who is a nice man by all accounts, but is somebody who is not disinterested, but just disassociated. And so Easterby has the keys to that, to that car. He hires his buddy in Casario, and by hiring Casario, also from New England, for anyone who doesn't know, he's ensuring loyalty to himself because Casario is getting a six-year, $36 million contract based off the fact Easterby hired him. So Casario is going to do whatever the heck Easterby wants. And so you have this weird situation where Easterby is basically running the show. It's, it's very disorganized. And I don't blame Watson, even though he just signed the extension a year ago. I don't blame him for saying, look, I want no part of this. If this is the way this organization is going to be run, then please move me. Get me out of here. I'd like to have some success before I'm in my 30s. Yeah, the Sean Watson thing is fascinating because obviously you never see a quarterback in his prime get traded ever, let alone like gun 25 to sign a long-term contract. And there are teams I'm sure line up across the league. Probably have 20 teams who give the Texans a call. Like, how do you think this ends up with him? You think he moves or you think he stays? I'm still of the mind, and maybe a naive one, that he's not going to get traded. I just think Houston's going to say, look, we're an expansion team if we trade you. We cannot trade you. We have you signed for, I believe, it's six more years. You, you can't move off a guy who's a 25-year-old MVP caliber player. I do quarterback rankings for, for us at Fanside every week, and I have him behind Mahomes and Rodgers, and that's it. Like I, I think he's the third-best quarterback in football, and I think you get a year where he's the best quarterback in football. To trade that guy, who is a fantastic human being by all accounts. It's not as though he's some malcontent. He's dealt with more crap there between O'Brien and the trade of Hopkins and no defense and no offensive line. You have not heard a word negatively out of Deshaun Watson's mouth through all that stuff. And so if you're the Texans, well, I think if you're Cal McNair, you sit down with Watson and his representation, agent David Mulligetta, and say, look, we're not trading you. We're not going to trade you you can sit out the next six years. We're not going to move you, but we want you to be happy. We want you to feel a part of this thing. Let's course correct. You want me to hire Eric Bannemi? I will write a blank check to Eric Bannemi. Is that what it's going to take? Uh, that's fine. That's what we'll do. Does it mean firing Jack Easterby? Because he's gone yesterday. Like you need to, look, you need to placate him because this is a guy who's been a good soldier for a long time with this organization and if you're gonna if you're gonna move off him now, first of all, it sends a message to the locker room that we've basically just given up. Second of all, you have given up. And third of all, you move him. I don't care what kind of compensation you get back for him. You're never gonna get enough. He's too talented. 
Yeah, I agree with that. I'd be hard-pressed seeing move. Let's talk about some of the games, though, for, for, for this week. I want to talk about the Bills specifically because Buffalo, obviously, win their first two playoff games. they kind of been under the radar here because all the news with the Chiefs and stuff like that. What do you think about what we've seen out of Buffalo the first two rounds? So the first two rounds, it's kind of been interesting from them in the sense I, they were thoroughly outplayed by Indianapolis. But they won the game, had a goal line stand. Indy had the slowest two-minute drill in NFL history, a few other things. Bills win. I have been impressed by the Bills all year. I picked them to win the division before the year started. I think Allen has been better than anybody could have imagined, maybe even including himself and his team. He's been he's been fantastic. If I had an MVP vote, he'd be third on my list behind Mahomes and Rodgers. Rodgers, by the way, I think should win it. Um, you, you look at the Bills, they've been excellent. If not for a Hail Mary, they won 10 straight at the end of the season. I mean, they, they've been phenomenal down the stretch are extremely well coached. They can throw the ball to anybody. I love that Brian Dable knows they can't run, doesn't even pretend to. Just is fine. We're going we're gonna to throw every down. We're not even going to try to run the football. Now, the playoff games have been interesting. As I said, I thought the Colts outplayed them. The Ravens game, does weather factor in a little bit? Yeah, although, look, it's January and you play in Buffalo. Like, you have to be able to throw through the wind. I don't care. I don't care that it's windy. Um, I thought the Bills' problems were more that the Ravens just outplayed them defensively. Now, that game comes down to Jackson making a brutal throw that gets run back for 101 yards. That I mean, the play before that, which will get forgotten over time, I guess rightfully so, the play before, Jackson had a wide-open touchdown, and he missed the throw. If that's a quarterback who's typically a better passer than Lamar Jackson, is that a touchdown? Is it 10-10? I mean, the, the Bills have not played particularly well in terms of the totality of these games the first two weeks of, of the playoffs. Assuming Mahomes plays in the AFC title game, they are going to have to play much better to win this game. They are not going to beat the Chiefs if they go in there and they play the way they played against Indianapolis or Baltimore. They may be in the game, but they won't win the game. So I think they're capable of winning, but they're going to have to play their best. Yeah, that makes some sense. And I think it's interesting also that both these games are rematches, both from week six this season. Kansas City won like in Buffalo 26-17. Tampa Bay won down in Tampa 38-10. Is there anything you look back at those two games and say, this is something I want to watch going into this weekend? Well, you know, I went back. I'm going to go back, actually, and, and watch the Packers-Bucks game again tonight. I haven't done it yet. I watched the Bills-Chiefs game yesterday, and then I'll, I'll try to do a little bit of all 22 on it if I have time. Um, so I think in the AFC game, the Bills, and, and I want to give Stephen Ruiz credit for this over at, uh, oh, God, for the win. Uh, he tweeted out and wrote about the fact that the Bills didn't blitz the Chiefs once in week six. It's the only time in the next-gen stats era, 2016, on that a team is not blitzed once for an entire game. They basically wanted to hold the Chiefs down throwing the football. Well, the Chiefs ended up rushing for 245 yards, and they gained over 500. If you're the Bills, are you willing to play that way again? They only The Chiefs only scored 26 points. There's a mixed extra point there if it matters to you. But they only scored 26 points, but they held the ball for 40-plus minutes. And so Allen had very little time to amass what was going to be needed, which is essentially 30 points. I think if you're the Bills, you have to play that way again. You cannot blitz Kansas City. You cannot say, well, we're going to try to shut down Edwards and Lair. It'd be a murder scene. I mean, the Chiefs will throw the ball over creation. So I think you do that again, and you live with it. You hope he doesn't, you know, you hope the Chiefs don't rush for 245. Well, that's a tough thing to match. Um, that game comes down to one thing for me. If the Bills get pressure with four, they can win. If they don't, they won't. If they, if they don't get pressure with four guys, they're going to lose. On the NFC side, look, the Buccaneers had an incredible amount of success blitzing Rodgers. I believe they sacked him five, maybe even six times. They hit him 13 times. And Rodgers threw a couple picks in that game, easily his worst game of the year. Now, maybe coincidentally, maybe not, they didn't have David Bakhtiari in that game. And the Buccaneers gave him a lot of problems up front. Well, they don't have Bakhtiari right now at the torn ACL. So what do you do if you're the Packers? I think the Packers are the better team. I do think, though, that the Buccaneers match up well with them. They can give them problems. And Petten, the defense coordinator for the Packers in that game, was very, very passive. They dropped nine guys at times against Brady. And while Brady didn't have a huge game throwing, the Bucs ran all over him. Does Petten do that again? If he does, I think there's a real good chance they'll lose. You need to get pressure on Brady. Unlike Mahomes, who I don't think you ever blitz under any circumstance, Brady – even though it's it's not fun blitzing him, he doesn't have the arm strength anymore to worry about all those outside throws. Like, I would go after him 
and force him to get rid of the ball under duress. And the Packers did not do that week six. I'm curious to see if they reverse course this time. Yeah, good to know there. The AFC game, obviously, the Chiefs-Bills. Is this, for you, come down to just the fact that, like, if Patrick Mahomes is there, it's one game. If it's not, it's a completely different game? Oh, if Mahomes isn't there, the Chiefs aren't going to win that game. Yeah. If they do, it's one of the great coaching jobs of all time. If Kansas City beats them with Chad Henney, they should erect a statue of Andy Reid right <laughs> after the game. I, oh, look, Chad Henney, great story that they were able to win that game on Sunday. But he came in with a, with a 19-10 lead, and it was 22-10 for Cleveland never got the ball. Okay, it wasn't like it wasn't like Chad Henney was marching the Chiefs up and down the field. If Mahomes plays again, and it's worth repeating, the Bills have to get pressure with four. And not not sometimes, all the time. They've got to consistently get pressure with four guys, drop seven, live with giving up some cheap yards underneath, live with some rushing yards under, you know, in the in the ground game. That's the way the Niners played them in the Super Bowl. You go back and watch that game. The Niners did not play the Chiefs, but almost never. They played tons of cover three. They dropped seven, and Bosa and Armstead and Buckner went to work and D Ford. Now, the Bills do not have that front. And the Bills like to play a lot of cover four, which Doug Farrar over at USA Today is a good friend, a great guy, detailed expertly. Um, if they play cover four against the Chiefs, that is a, that is a coverage the Chiefs typically shred to bits because they get post routes off of it. And Hill just gets one-on-one with your safety, and it's a match race to the end zone. If I'm the Bills, I'm playing cover two in that game. I'm mixing it up a little bit, but I'm playing a ton of cover two. I'm playing some zone. I'm rushing four, and I'm praying. And I'm hoping that I can get Mahomes to make one mistake. Strip sack him. Maybe he's not that comfortable you know, getting hit right now. Maybe he throws it quick. Because if you can't get pressure – I don't care what you're playing behind it. He's just got too many weapons, and he's too good. They're going to find somebody who gets open, and it's going to be a game of you know, 15, 20-plus yards. Yeah, I think that makes sense. The NFC game, obviously, you said this, these are two different teams than we saw back in week six. I think the thing that's interesting to me is, like, obviously, like, Rodgers gotten so much more comfortable with the secondary receiver. We saw the big strike to Alan Lazar in the title game. Like, Do you think like he needs those guys again to really make the big difference here in this matchup, the Lazards, the MVSs of the world? Yeah. Um, look, the, the Buccaneers are a team that they do love to blitz. They've blitzed more than any other NFC team outside of Arizona. And so I think if you're the Buccaneers, you're going to be uh, you're going to be aggressive and you're going to hope that you can maybe bracket Adams, double Adams, and you're going to live with Jamel Dean on Lazard or Valdez Scantling. Right, you're gonna live like I think if you're the Bucks, you're saying we're gonna blitz. It's who we are. We and we, we won doing it against the Packers. We we destroyed Rodgers. Um, I, I think you feel good about that. I personally, if I'm Todd Bowles and he knows more football than I ever will even dream of knowing, but I would, I would double Adams with Dean, who's their second corner and a safety. I would put I would put Devin White, who's phenomenal in coverage, on Tunyon or or Jones, depending on who you see as the bigger threat. And then, look, I'd put Carlton Davis on the other receiver. And I'd try – he's your best corner. It's the old Belichick thing, and I've always believed in that. Put your best corner on the second best guy and double their best guy. That's how I would go about it. Um, do they do it? I don't know. But I think I think the Buccaneers are going to be a problem for, for Green Bay. I think Green Bay's favorite and deservedly so. But there's a world here where Tampa's a real problem up at Lambeau on Sunday. All right, so – we have to put the prediction cap on here. Let's assume Mahomes plays in this game. And we're going to, I think it's everything we've seen is sort of trending that direction, like where we're getting good optimistic. He doesn't have a concussion. He has in the protocol for some reason. But assuming he plays, like, what are your picks for these two games? So assuming he plays and he's, and he's healthy, um, I think the Chiefs win the game. I just think they're the better team. The Bills are really, really good. They're the only team that I thought at the beginning of the playoffs could beat Kansas City in the AFC if they played well, and I still feel that way. Um, I think the Bills will score some points. Their Week 6 matchup, I don't care that much about. It was 26-17. It was in a driving rainstorm. Now, it might rain in Arrowhead on Sunday night. It's going to be 34 with a chance of rain. That would not be ideal for the Bills, um, or the Chiefs for that matter. But, you know, I, I, think, I think the Bills keep it close. I think they're in the game, and I think they could win. I think they're very alive underdog. But I, I think it's something like thirty-three to twenty-four, something like that, with the Chiefs maybe scoring late to put it away. 
you know, maybe it's like a six-point game and the Chiefs drive down, kick a field goal. The NFC title game, I do think, is a little bit closer in terms of the, the, the final score. I'll take the Packers 27 to 23, somewhere in that range. And I wouldn't be shocked if the Bucs or the Bills win. I do think the Bucs have a slightly better shot at pulling the game off um, just because of the way that the two teams match up uh, in both sides of the bracket. So I'll take the Chiefs and Packers to get to the Super Bowl. But I do think it's a very, very competitive day on Sunday. Yeah, I agree. It's going to be a fun weekend of football, Matt. Thanks for all the time. Really appreciate it. Before I let you go, how can people follow you on social media about what we're doing over at Fansided? So, yeah, first of all, check out Fansided. I mean, you know, Michael does great work alongside so many other people on the NFL side. And, and really for all sports, we have a great NBA section to step back. Um, look, go to Fansided.com. You can always read my stuff there. If you don't, if you don't go there or you, you, you haven't, you should. But you can check it out on Twitter, at Matt Verderam. Uh, you know, all my columns go up there. I do Twitter lives all the time. And then the Stack in the Box podcast uh, is something that I've been doing for a few years now. Do it twice a week. It's an hour-long show every week. Cover the whole league in depth. Uh, So if you can, give that a a subscription, a rating, and review. We'd really be appreciated. Yeah, Matt goes on Twitter live. You have time with these games. It's a lot of fun listening to those conversations. Matt, thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Take care. Show me the money. All right, we are back here. It is time to show me the money for the division conference championship round. Joining me today on the podcast, the host of the Sharp Chatter podcast, one of our regulars in the NFL playoff picks, Joe Dalavizio is here. Joe, how are you? I am doing well, Mike. Show me the money. Love the sign. Love the setup you got going on. Thanks for having me, as always. Not a problem, man. I have to say, I think of I've I think you're the only guy who's been on all three years of the playoff picks. So this is a tradition we have to keep going. Well, damn it, I'm honored and I'm glad to be here. And I will preface this: I am doing very, very, very well this off season, this postseason. Excuse me with the picks so hopefully it continues here on the podcast hopefully it does and i will say we have to do a little bit of housekeeping before we start this we did we did do the over under bets at the beginning of the season i had a solid year we touched on this a little bit in week 12 you want to go back to our podcast then and listen to the full details not gonna waste everybody's time here but i went three and three on those so i did a good pretty good run okay you did not do as well you had an oh five and one showing here so not great for you it's probably your thought when you had some of those picks going on yeah yeah i definitely regret i think uh, my my worst one may have been the cowboys yeah uh, so I, the cowboys super bowl pick actually may have been my worst one uh but yeah rough year in the over-unders um but better news the green bay packers are playing in their second consecutive nfc championship game yes they are and I will, I will mention that there were stakes in this. Like next time in New Rochelle, we'll be getting a sandwich with Joe from the Avenue Deli. But we'll talk about his Packers. They make Joe happy. So, hey, you better not get an extra large sandwich. <laughs> you know, you know, I'm not going to do that to you. Of course, of yeah. course. But yes, next time you are in the New Rochelle area, a sandwich on me, well deserved. Congrats, you won. I lost. All right. And let's get to the Packers-Rams. That was the first game of the weekend on Saturday. And I have to say, like, this one was not even close in the beginning. I mean, last week I thought the Packers would win this going away. What did you think going in? Um, okay, so going into it, I thought the game would be much closer. All right? I thought um, spread-wise, I, I love the points. I, I said I'd take the Rams. I thought it would be, a, you know, anywhere between a three-, four-point game. I thought it would be close only because of how – how great the Rams' defense has been all season long. But, man, when push comes to shove, the number one offense certainly embarrassed the number one defense. Um, I also thought throughout the game that Green Bay was one play away the entire game from opening it up, and it finally happened in the fourth quarter with Alan Lazard. But it was just Rodgers missing on a few or a wide receiver dropping on a pass. It was like they were there. They were right there the entire time, but just couldn't get over the hump. And they got fortunate. I mean, I know you said it wasn't a close game, but they're up one possession. A.J. Dillon fumbles the ball, and luckily it falls right into Rodgers' lap. If the Rams recover there, man, I think we're, we got a nail-biter going to the end. Yeah, they do. And you mentioned that Alan Lazard throw in the fourth 
fourth quarter there. I mean, I saw that live. I'm like, oh, my goodness. This is probably one of the greatest throws I've ever seen. It was like literally a laser beam right into his outstretched hands, easily runs into the end zone. I think it's probably, again, shows you why Rod is the MVP this year. Uh, I don't think I could repeat the words that came out of my mouth out of excitement <laughs> on the podcast when uh, that play happened. But like I mentioned, right, there were several moments in that game where the Packers almost connected, right? You could go back to the first drive where Rodgers hits MVS. The ball's a little high. He's wide open, though. Should have been easy seven instead of three, all right? He also missed MVS on what could have been a 90-yard touchdown. Had a miss to Alan Lazard. In the third, uh, I don't know if it was the third quarter, but there was one play where Devontae Adams had a, a double move, got behind the corner, okay? Rodgers hits, sees him wide open, throws it as soon as he can. Devontae Adams has to make the adjustment. If he leads them, that's another big play. So, yeah, this team won by 14 points, right? Packers won by 14. It looks like they're, they left a lot still on the board, even with scoring 30-plus once again. Yeah, they did. And this week they have the Buccaneers coming to town for the NFC Championship game. It could be cold in Green Bay, maybe snowy, but – one thing I do think about, people do forget, these teams played in week six, Tampa Bay won 38-10. Does that concern you at all heading into this game? I don't think that concerns me one bit. Um, I know a lot of people are saying, well, you know, just like you said, does that concern you? You go back to last season, Matt LaFleur losing to the 49ers in the regular season and then getting embarrassed again um, in the NFC Championship game. Could that story repeat itself? I think this year it's a lot different. Uh, this offense is kind of want to say unstoppable right now. Uh, they have been all season long. Um, the team that you saw earlier in the year that lost to to the Buccaneers, that's not the same Packers team, and that's certainly not the same Bucks team. I think we're in for a treat, and the fans get what they've finally been wanting, Brady versus Rodgers in the playoff, winner, Super Bowl bound. I mean, come on. You can't say we haven't been cheated, that we didn't get to see a Packers Super Bowl against – against the Patriots, Brady Rogers. Yeah. You, it might be the first and only time we get it because who knows if these two teams will be back in the exact same spot next year. But what do you think of the keys to this game for the Packers? What do they have to do to win this game? All right. Well, keys to victory in terms of beating the, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, I think first and foremost, you need to continue to protect Aaron Rodgers and give him time to throw the ball. This offensive line for the Green Bay Packers was Arguably one of the biggest question marks entering into the season, right? They have shown up and played so well all season long, despite injuries, latest being David Bakhtiari. All right. They, uh, this past week against the Rams, zero sacks. Rodgers was hit once. You give an MVP quarterback that much time to throw the ball. Oh, you bet you're behind. He's going to find an open wide receiver, or do something. All right. So I think protecting Rodgers is pretty key. Um, in that first matchup, they were Tampa Bay was able to get after him, right? They were able to get after him and force turnovers, right? When the Green Bay when the Green Bay Packers play a perfect game and do not turn the ball over, they are eleven and zero this season. All right. On the flip side, defensively, get after Brady. It's kind of like a similar game plan that you had against Goff. Go man to man, force force the quarterback to make a play. Now, granted, Tom Brady will make a play. He will make a few plays. I'm not comparing Tom Brady and Jared Goff by all means. But what I am saying is Brady will not escape the pocket the same way Goff wouldn't escape the pocket. They don't have that in that game. If the pressure is there, Brady is going to fall down and they take the sack, take advantage of those opportunities. Yeah, they do. We'll see what happens in that game this weekend. Let's talk about the picks. It's the reason why you're here. Alex Fasano, our good friend, was here last week for Teen Challenge. We had a little therapy session about his Steelers loss and then – we went opposite on all four picks, so probably we each went two and two. Okay, not yeah. bad. If you if you really want to know, I went three and zero last week. Yeah. I, I don't pick the Packers game. Yeah, but three and zero. Yeah. So Alex's wins last week. He had the Bills laying the points. He had the Buccaneers getting the points on Sunday night. So those were the two okay. he got right. I had you took your Packers getting the laying the seven points. They they took me out there, and I. took the ten with the Browns. I got lucky there when Mahomes went out. I think if he stays that game, I'm not covering it. Yeah, I, I actually took the points as well with the Browns, and you're spot on. If Mahomes stays in, they're not keeping up. Um, it was kind of blessing in disguise right there. And, hey, anything is possible. 
Yeah, anything is possible. So on the year, Teen Challengers, 29-31-1. Charlie Boards kind of put the challenge under 500 in the playoffs, like going 1-5 in the wild card weekend. So That's brutal. Yeah, so the 3-7 and seven in the playoffs. I'm 36-25 and 25 on the year, 6-4 and four in the playoffs. So postseason's still tight. Postseason's still tight, but, you, I mean, you only have three more total games. Yeah, I do. So this week's going to be interesting here. We have two games to go. We're going to do the picks for both games. We're going to start out with the NFC Championship game on on Fox on Sunday, 3, 3.05. Your Packers are laying three points at home against the Buccaneers. What are you doing? I'm taking the Packers. Minus three. I love it. I usually don't. I don't like, and I'm not saying this because I'm a Packers fan. But again, I think this is a completely different game that we saw earlier in the season. And quite frankly, if the number one defense in the NFL couldn't slow down Aaron Rodgers in that offense, I don't see Tom Brady and their defense slowing down Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, that's a good point. I think this number is tough for me. I feel like this is a three-point game either direction. I think this is going to be very tight down the stretch. Whoever has the ball last wins kind of deal. When it was at three and a half. I was going to take Tampa Bay. I was going to take the points there. But at three... I think I'll go with you. I'm going to take the Packers here, lay the points at home. I think they're a more complete team. I think the Bucs have flaws. They took advantage of a Saints team last week that just couldn't throw the ball down the field. They took Kamara out of the game. You can't take really anything away from the Packers. Aaron Rodgers still beat you. So I like the Packers here. I'm going to lay the three points there. And I think we agree on that one. Absolutely, we do. All right, next up, the AFC Championship game. 640 on CBS. Bills at the Chiefs. Chiefs laying three. The big unknown here is Patrick Mahomes going to play. As of recording, we don't know if he's clear protocol yet. That's why the number is so low, in my opinion. Joe, what are you doing here? See, that's the tricky thing because as of recording, that number is so low, it kind of makes you want to jump on the Chiefs. Yeah. Just because if Patrick Mahomes gets clear and he's good to go, that number gets up to probably six, yeah. right? What do you think? Five and a half, six? Sounds about right. That, that range. Uh, with that being said, though, I'm thinking the Bills outright money line. Wow. All right. I know it's shocking. I know you're surprised, but the uncertainty with Patrick Mahomes is huge to me. Um, I know it seems and it appears like he's going to be all right. It's going to be healthy. But the Bills have something magical going on right now. And they I love their style of play on both sides of the field. I think Josh Allen is, has been tremendous this season. And I haven't been sold with the Kansas City Chiefs since the end of the regular season. Yeah, they ended up winning. Um, but still, they, they haven't won in convincing fashion. And, and not that that, it, that not that that matters, right? A win is a win. But I just think Patrick Mahomes' injury, um, before the injury, all the rest that he had and how he wasn't playing at the same caliber that we're used to him uh, seeing him play at, I really think the Bills pull off the upset and win this one. All right, I'm gonna go against you. I'm gonna take. I'm gonna take the bait. I'm gonna take the three with the Chiefs because I feel like there's enough optimism coming out of Kansas City. Mahomes is gonna play. I'll buy it, even if he doesn't. Though we saw that Andy Reid is gonna be aggressive. He's gonna run a very strong game plan with Chad Henney, and they have so much talent offense. And the thing we forget about Kansas City is their defense is still very, very good. And Buffalo does not have a running game right now. Zach Moss is out. They were passing almost exclusively against the Ravens last week. I don't think that will work in Kansas City. I think the Chiefs will find a way to win, even if Mahomes can't go. But So I will lay the points with the Chiefs here. Take the, lay the three. So we're locked in with these points, or are we getting a little leeway at the end of the week if this line jumps? Well, I think we're going to we're gonna lock in here. I think we should lock it in here. I think it's not not fair to the audience, because we're not, not going to be able to know that we, we didn't change this. Ah, I, okay, okay, that's fine. Yeah, because I'm not going to drop another podcast before this one, before this uh, releases. For the record, Bill's money line. Yeah, I, I I do have a weekly gambling post for fan side. Bill's money line is one of the bets I have on the line here because the number is good and like and the off chance he doesn't play. That's a good line to take. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah. Without a doubt. I think it could happen. Yeah, so to reset the picks here for the week, NFC Championship game, Buccaneers and Packers, Buck Panthers, Packers laying three. Joe and I are both taking Green Bay, laying the points. In the ASL game, Bill's Chiefs. Chiefs laying three right now, the number contingent on Patrick Mahomes' availability. I am laying the points of the Chiefs. Joe is taking them with the Bills. He strongly advises you take the Bills with the money line this week. Those are your picks for championship weekend, and it feels weird to only do two picks total. Uh, it feels so weird that we're in championship weekend. Like, granted, I, yeah, I'm a Packers fan. I love the fact that my team is still playing in it, but I also hate the fact that we have two weeks of football left, essentially. 
yet. Yeah, I, I can't get into basketball yet. Uh, you know, college can't is a get mess. Hockey yet. College basketball is a mess. I just, I'm going to, like every year, I'm going to miss the NFL. Yeah, we got over. I miss it. We got this Sunday. Then we got a Sunday with nothing, not even the Pro Bowl because of COVID. And then we had the Super Bowl in two weeks. So that's all we got. uh, Truthfully, uh, the Pro Bowl could just disappear anyway. I wasn't going to watch it. Yeah. I never do. I think it's it's terrible. It's not even entertaining, slightly entertaining. Um, So they actually are making out somewhat well that they don't have to worry about the Pro Bowl this year. Yeah, there's no football next week, but we are not going without showing the money next week. Our uh, Kevin Walsh is coming back here from sports. We're going to talk about all the different ways you can bet the big game. We're going to talk about the spread, the, the the money line, the over-under, the props, all that good stuff with Kevin next week. Are you a heads-tails prop bet guy? Are you color of the Gatorade prop bet guy? What do you like to dabble in? I like the prop. I love the heads-tails. It's so, it's so fun. It's so easy. I like the color of the Gatorade because it's so random. I do like... I like those parlays where you do the other sports involved where it's like number of three pointers, James Harden hits for the Nets. Plus like how many passing touchdowns the Chiefs have or something like that. That's fun. Hey, you, you, if you don't have a dog in the race, you could certainly have a lot of fun placing a few shekels on these prop bets. Yeah. Plus like, I do like the ones that are not sports related in terms of like, Oh, like what, like what song is the weekend going to play first? Or like, is Joe Biden going to tweet during the game or whatever, something like that. Those are fun too. The length of the national anthem, another classic. Yeah, I like those. I do like also diving into the player-specific ones on the team. I remember last year I had a prop about about the punter for the Niners, and I ended up working out for me. There you go. Hopefully yeah. the luck continues this year, Mike. Yeah, hopefully so. Joe, thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. Before I let you go, I can be able to follow you on social media and keep up with the Sharp Cheddar podcast. All right, so give me a follow on Twitter at Joe double underscore D-A-L-O-I-S-I. Oh, don't forget the double underscore. Do not. You won't, you won't find him otherwise. You won't find me. Um, yeah, and just search Sharp Cheddar Podcast on pretty much any podcast platform. Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, Amazon, all those good ones. We are there. We uh, we already have an, uh, our latest episode recapping the divisional round win against the against the Rams. And later in the week, depending on when you listen to this podcast, we will have a preview episode previewing the NFC championship game against the Buccaneers. Yeah. And those are some good episodes of like, I saw you had a uh, friend of the podcast, Dan Mandelara on so talk early in the playoffs. Yeah. DA was on uh, to, to kind of kick off super wild card weekend. Um, not sure what we're doing guest route yet. Don't want to tease anything. May just go solo and just break it down. X's and O's by myself, but we will be efforting, efforting to get someone on the pod this week. Yeah, efforting is always important on these things. Joe, thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. Mike, anytime. Yeah, up next, I'm going to do the two-minute drum. I'm going to talk about what the Yankees do in the rotation and give the Mets some props doing the right thing PR-wise with the Jared Porter mess right after this. The two-minute drill. All right, we are back here. Two-minute drill on the podcast. A little bit about the New York baseball scene right now. The Mets, I want to get this out of the way real quick. The Jared Porter thing was an absolute disaster. Once that story broke on Monday night, they had no choice but to fire him because you as an organization cannot condone that kind of conduct. I will Obviously, the story's out there about the inappropriate text he was saying to a foreign female reporter. Great job of the Mets to immediately, basically, we heard about the story 11 o'clock on Monday night. 7.55 7.55 a.m. Tuesday morning, Steve Cohen tweets out that he fired Jared Porter, which you had to do. You can't build a culture like that, and this is something that's just been happening way too often in professional sports. The amount of barriers that women have in this industry is very disturbing, and we have to do more to make this a better experience. The fact that reporter felt the need to switch careers because she's worried about like repercussions, that should not happen. That's unacceptable. Good job by the Mets here. Move on here. It's going to be very quick and easy. He's out. They'll probably promote Zach Scott, who was the runner-up for the job. He'll be the assistant GM now. He's going to be the permanent GM probably about a couple days. They'll hire somebody to replace Scott. They'll move on. It's the appropriate choice here. The more interesting situation here is the Yankees, because the Yankees have been pretty quiet this winter. They finally started to make some moves. They re-signed DJ LeMahieu last week, six years, $90 million. They had to get that deal done. They did. The length... Not great because you don't want to pay paying DJ when he's 38, but the thing that helps is the AAV and the contract drops pretty low, which is a good thing when you're constantly up against the luxury tax that the Yankees are and determined not to go over it. Good move. The thing that you worry about the Yankees, that they still need some pitching. 
They did do a good job here. They started out the process, signed Corey Kluber to a one-year, $11 million deal to add to the rotation. Kluber's a great reputation, two-time Cy Young Award winner. Great job for the Indians, and he's been phenomenal in the past, but the recent memory, not great. The Yankees have issues in that rotation. They have the ace in Garrett Cole, which is phenomenal. Let's look at what's behind him. Let's start with Corey Kluber, who the Yankee fans are desperately trying to sell you on. Like, oh, low risk, high reward. This guy's going to win the Cy Young. He'll be our number two starter behind Cole in the playoffs. This is going to be great. This is brilliant. We love it. Problem. He started eight games the last two seasons. He's 34 years old. Durability has to be a concern here because when you're getting injured, the injuries tend to not be like isolated instances. They tend to start popping up again and again and again. And he did not look great before he got hurt in 2019 with Cleveland. I know the Yankees say, oh, we, ha- we have a guy on our staff who's working with Kluber in a side deal, and we trust his report. That's okay. That's worth it if you have, okay, we have another solid guy here, but they don't have solid guys. Luis Severino right now coming off of Tommy John surgery. He has pitched in three games the last two years. There's rumors he'll be ready around July 1st for this year. We can't guarantee that. Could be earlier, which would be great. Could be later, which would be worse. We don't know. Domingo Herman, breakout guy 2019. He was kind of wearing down at the end of that year. Then he has the suspension for domestic violence. He has not pitched in over a year. And now he's being counted on the rotation. Jordan Montgomery, lefty. Yankees, probably the second most dependable guy in that rotation right now, which is scary. He was 2-3 and three with a 5-11 ERA, 10 starts last year. He missed a ton of time in 2019 after Tommy John. So, not good. Then you have the kids. You have a lot of good pitching prospects. We saw Davey Garcia at the end of last year. That was very good. We saw Clark Schmidt. That was solid. Like he's got potential. Michael King has some great stuff. You have a relying on that mix to fill out the unit. That's not very good. That rotation reminds me a lot of the 2020 Mets. And we saw what happened then. They had the ace, Jacob DeGrom. He was great. Noah Syndergaard got hurt before the season. Marcus Strong got hurt in season, then opted out. Steven Matz was supposed to be the number two. He's facing the Montgomery in this equation. He flopped. You have Rick Porcello, Michael Waka, who are sort of the guys as the, hey, like, low-risk, high-reward guys. Remember, and Porcello won a Cy Young in his past, and the whole thing about the even number of years, he's better. He was awful. Michael Waka was not good. He ended up in Tampa Bay now. They're going to try and fix him. The Mets were then stretching out relievers into starters. They had David Peterson was forced to come up. He was okay as a, as a rookie. There's not a lot of depth there. And you're getting fans saying, okay, we have more pitching prospects. They're higher pedigree than the Met guys were, so we'll be okay. You need another dependable starter in there. There are way too many ifs in that rotation. Could you potentially thread the needle and have Corey Kluber be healthy and dominant and Luis Severino comes back in July and is the same old Severino and Herman picks up where he left off and Montgomery's healthy and Diego Garcia builds on this? Sure. That's a lot of things you need to go right. And they're not all going to. You need another dependable starter in there. Now, Brian Cash, I'm sure, knows this. He has been poking around the trade market. They were in the mix for Joe Musgrove who got traded that in, to the Padres in that three-team deal that sent Joey Lucchese to the Mets yesterday. They ran on Luis Castillo. Obviously, he would be a phenomenal get because he's the ace-type pitcher. He would slot in right behind Cole, give him a long-term number two. But that depends on the price tag. The Reds obviously know how valuable he is and said, we want Glaber Torres. And the Yankees rightly said, no, thank you. That's a smart choice. The guy that sh- should be here, and he's not right now because of money in Mars part, and they don't want to go with the luxury tax, Masiro Tanaka. They don't want to go over the luxury tax. He's basically hinted Tanaka that either I want to stay in New York or I want to go to Japan. That would be a mistake to let him go. Tanaka is dependable, and you need dependable in that rotation. Let's look at his numbers since 2015. These are the ones that are important for you, Yankee fans. 2015, 24 starts, 154 innings pitched, 12 and 7 record, 351 ERA. 2016, 31 starts, 199 two thirds innings, 14 4, 307 ERA. 2017, 30 starts, 178 and a third innings pitched, 13 and 12 record, 474 ERA. Not great record wise, but the but the innings was good and he gave you starts. 2018, 27 starts, 156 innings pitched, 
12 and 6 at 375 ERA. 2019, 31 stars, 182 innings, 11 and 9, 445 ERA. Last year, the shortened season, remember, he also got hurt. He got hit by the liner on the first day of summer camp, delayed his start of the season a little bit. 10 starts, 48 innings, 3 and 3, 356 ERA. That's a lot of solid innings in there. A guy gives you a, you know, like high threes, low fours ERA in the American League East. That will play. That gives you sensibility if you have a guy like that in there. That means Corey Kluber is your upside number three, where there's less pressure on him to be the old Kluber. It buys you time to get Luis Severino off the injury and allows you to take the dice roll in the back end and say, okay, Jordan Montgomery will get better or the kids will step up. The Yankees, I feel like I've underappreciated Tanaka the past few years because remember 2019, the playoffs, how we want, we're rushing to get Luis Severino as an opener in there ahead of Tanaka in the rotation. This group has massive flame out potential. And I get it. I know Tampa Bay is taking a step back. They traded off Blake Snell and, and that Charlie Morton left in free agency. I know that the Red Sox at Baltimore still a ways away. Toronto's good. Toronto's trying to sign guys. Nobody's taking their money yet, but they have a good rotation. They get a guy or two to take their money. They could be dangerous. I would say right now the odds the Yankees win the division are about 70%. And you still could get in probably because the American League is still pretty terrible, but the thing you have to worry about here, especially if we're playing the full 162, we're not shortening the season at all, which seems to be the direction we're heading right now. You need more dependability in that rotation. You cannot end up in a situation where you had last year where we're starting a combo platter of Davey Garcia and J.A. Happ in game two of the division series. We can't do that. And trust me, I watched last year when a bad rotation destroyed a season. You do not want that. You want dependable arms in it. And that means Cashin may have to stop prospect hugging a bit and part with some pieces that are painful to get a guy like Castillo here. You need to find that guy. Or you go over the luxury tax to keep Tanaka. You need more dependability. You do not want to be going down that path where you're hoping everything goes right because it almost never does in baseball. All right, and that's going to do it for the podcast this week. I want to thank our guest, Matt Verderam, for calling in to do the NFL Conference Championship Preview. Some fun stuff with Matt. I also want to thank Joe Dalby's for doing the NFL picks for Championship Week. If you want to book stuff like my podcast, including my instant reaction to the James Harden trade, where the Nets basically threw all those chips in the middle of the table and said, we're going for it right now. And what that could mean for them, let's check out the blog over just on the suffering.wordpress.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, all the usual suspects. Simply search for Just End the Suffering on any of those platforms. You can find oral episodes there. You can also leave your feedback and star ratings as well to make this podcast even better going forward. You can also follow me on Twitter at mphillips331. That's M-P-H-I-L-I-P-S. Check out the YouTube channel, Mike Phillips on YouTube. Video version of the individual conversation of the podcast. Our chats with Joe and Matt will be on the YouTube channel shortly. And coming up next week on the podcast, we're going to break down what happened championship weekend. We're going to get ready for the big game. We're starting that process. Do some Super Bowl betting and more. I hope you have a better week than the Saints fans. This has been the Just End the Suffering Podcast. I'm out.